start a new sermon series this morning. So turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. So looking forward to studying this book together. Uh, it'll probably take us uh, through the end of next spring. And the theme of our study is going to be seeking after God's own heart. The key verse, if you will, of the entire book is 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, when God rejects the first king of Israel, Saul, he tells the prophet Samuel, I have sought a man who has a heart after my own heart. So we're going to look at various circumstances and situations symbolized by the things you see uh, in that heart of ways that God forms a heart after his own heart in us. This morning's theme is how God forms a heart in us after his own heart through pain and suffering. The book kicks off with an ordinary family going through extraordinary suffering. There's a young woman who's wrestling with infertility. And year after year after year, she cries out that God would give her a child. And year after year after year, she remains barren. Having an heir was critical in those years, and so her husband, who loved her dearly, took on a second wife just to bear children. Oh, he loved the barren woman, but he needed an heir. And so the second wife tormented this woman relentlessly. So now she's not only suffering from infertility. Now she has to share a man she loves and a man that she knows loves her. And she's being brutally provoked every single day of her life. The woman's name is Hannah. And we learn that she has a heart after God's own heart. But God has formed it as by grace, Hannah has responded to pain and suffering in a way that God forms that heart. We don't manufacture hearts after God's own heart. God forms it by his grace. And we see how God does that in Hannah's life and how God will do that in our lives because all of us go through pain and suffering from time to time. And God sends it to form our hearts after his own heart. 
Let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. Now, when we go through an Old Testament narrative, you look at whole chunks of Scripture. So every week, we're going to be reading quite a bit of Scripture. So follow along with me. I'll tell you uh, where we're going to be. First of all, uh, 1 Samuel 1, verses 1 through 7. There was a certain man of Ramathiam, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Skip down to verse 10. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Then skip down to verses 19 and 20. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And then go down to verses 27 and 28, and then we'll read the first 10 verses of chapter 2. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him... To the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord, my horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies, because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by Him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and rises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and He exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. 
He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. And he longs to form within us a heart after his very own heart. And sometimes he forms that heart through pain and suffering. Let's pray. Father, would you please open our eyes to behold beautiful things from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I'm sure you've heard the story of the Velveteen Rabbit. A young boy received a stuffed animal for Christmas one year, a Velveteen Rabbit. And sort of like our movie Toy Story, these toys could talk. And the rabbit heard one day about the possibility of actually being transformed from a stuffed animal into a real rabbit. So he went, of course, to the skin horse, who was the wisest of the animals in the nursery. And he said, what is real? And skin horse replied, It's a thing that happens to you when a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with you, but really loves you. Then you become real. Does it hurt? Asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, because he was always truthful. Does it happen all at once like being wound up? Or bit by bit, the skin horse replied, it doesn't happen all at once. You become. Actually, it takes a long time. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off, and your eyes drop out, and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter, because once you were real, You can't become unreal again. It lasts for always. Rabbit sighed. He wished that he could become real without all these uncomfortable things happening to him. But that's just how nursery magic works. It's often how the magic of the gospel works as well. God often chooses to form a heart after his heart through pain and suffering. And that's what we see happen in Hannah's life today. So three responses to pain and suffering 
enabled by grace, through which God forms in us a heart after his own heart. First of all, seek God's heart in pain and suffering through authenticity. One of the reasons why I read so many verses in these first two chapters is because it is amazing how raw Hannah's emotions are presented through this text. She's irritated. She's provoked. She's angry. She's bitter. She's frustrated. She's anxious. She's sad. She's filled with grief. She's heavy-hearted. She's troubled. She's vexed. All of these words appear in the text, and you think, oh, Christians shouldn't feel that way. (laughs) We do. And it really doesn't matter whether we should or shouldn't, because what matters is that we do. And God doesn't tend to transform fake. Can I say that again? Though he could, God doesn't tend to change fake. He changes those who are willing to humble themselves and be real and authentic. As a matter of fact, you'll become a person after God's own heart in direct proportion to your willingness to live in authenticity. I'll say that again too. You will become a man or a woman after God's own heart in direct proportion to your willingness to live in authenticity. You may have heard a phrase... And I'm going to tell you in advance, it's from the pit of hell itself. And the phrase is this, fake it till you make it. I can't think of anything more unhealthy and anything more ungodly and anything more unbiblical. The way we make it is by getting brutally honest with God about what's happening in our hearts. In verses 7 to 10, we learn that Hannah wept year after year after year. She couldn't even eat. She was so upset. And then adding to her suffering, not only was she infertile, not only did she have to share a man she loved and who loved her, not only was she provoked, but when she took it to the church, Eli the priest thought she was drunk. But even there, Hannah responded in authenticity. And she said, I'm not drunk. I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord. You see that? Hannah was poor. That, that Hebrew word means to dump. Hannah was dumping every emotion she experienced 
at the throne of grace. And that's what we're called to do in the New Testament as well. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, approach the throne of grace with boldness so that you might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. People after God's own heart. Become people after God's own heart by being authentic with God and authentic in the presence of others. Hannah became a woman after God's own heart. David was a person after God's own heart. Look at the Psalms. David is constantly pouring out his heart to God. As a matter of fact, the same word that Hannah uses for the dump before God, we find in Psalm 62, verse 8, David says, pour out your heart before him. Paul was a person after God's own heart. Read 2 Corinthians. It's so raw. He shares all of his emotions we will become people after God's own heart in direct proportion to our willingness to live in authenticity before God and before others. Seek God's heart in pain and suffering through authenticity. Secondly, seek God's heart in pain and suffering through surrender. If you look at verses 5 and 6, you see a repeated phrase. And the repeated phrase is that the Lord closed Hannah's womb. You know, in our day and age, we know so much science, and medicine, and technology. And if you're barren, struggle with infertility, you go to the doctor and they'll tell you, well, it's genetic or it's this cause or that cause. Ultimately, Anything that happens to us is because God ordained it. We're not victims of chance or happenstance. We're not victims of cruel fate. Now listen, I get it. In pain and suffering, a sovereign God creates a whole other issue. If God's loving, why would he ordain it? I, I understand that. But I would ask you to consider the alternative. If God isn't sovereign, what hope do you have? If God isn't sovereign, what purpose is there in pain and suffering? No. The only hope of purpose and redemption and growth in pain and suffering is that God is sovereign. And the text makes it very clear. The Lord, verse 5, closed her womb. Verse 6, the Lord had closed her womb. So in the first point, I emphasize that, that if you live by the principle, fake it till you'll make it, you'll never have a heart after God's own heart. In this point, the principle is this. The more you play the victim, the less you'll become a person after God's own heart. 
But the more you surrender to God's love, goodness, and wisdom in your pain, suffering, and confusion, the more you will experience the grace of God giving you a heart after God's own heart. What is surrender? Surrender is a patient waiting on God, trusting that He is doing a good work through your pain. Surrender is trusting that when a child asks God for a fish, He doesn't give him a snake. Surrender is waiting patiently, believing that when a child asks for a loaf, God never gives them a stone. Now, please, I am not saying this is easy. And we need the body of Christ to lift up our tired arms when surrender seems so hard. But God calls us to trust that through every painful event, circumstance, situation that he is pursuing our hearts to form our hearts to be hearts after his own heart. Don't minimize verse 3 and verse 7 where we are told year by year by year by year by year. Tim Bennett and I uh, lead a gospel waltz retreat where we talk about what it means to grow in the spirit-filled life by the three-step of repent, believe, fight, repent, believe, fight. And that all of our circumstances are the music of God's pursuit of our hearts to form our hearts after God's own heart. And one of the things that we say in that retreat is some songs are very, very long And are very hard to dance to. Hannah was in one of those songs. But she constantly surrendered to the wisdom, goodness, and love of God. Now, that didn't mean she wasn't frustrated. We've already covered that. That didn't mean she wasn't sad. That didn't mean she wasn't anxious. You can be surrendered and still experience all those emotions. Hannah did. Again, the New Testament, we're called to this kind of surrender. 1 Peter 5, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Why? Because he cares for you. And after you have suffered for a little while, he will himself confirm, strengthen, and establish you. But Bob, it's been years. I am so sorry. God says keep on surrendering. Keep on waiting. Keep on trusting. He is not giving you a snake. He is not giving you a rock. 
David lived in continual surrender. Joseph lived in continual surrender. Paul lived in continual surrender. Jesus lived in continual surrender. Jesus in the garden. God, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. Yet surrender. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Seek God's heart in pain and suffering through authenticity. Seek God's heart in pain and suffering through surrender. And then thirdly, seek God's heart in pain and suffering through hope. In verse 20, it says, In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. For some of us, That's the most painful verse in the entire text. Well, yeah, Bob. Of course Hannah's okay. Everything worked out. She got what she wanted. I'm not getting what I want. I'm still waiting. You know, the passage reveals that Hannah would have continued to live in surrender had God not, had God not given her a son. Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were supposed to bow down to the golden image, and they refused. And they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And the king threatens them, do you know what you're dealing with? And they respond by saying... O king, our God is able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. What'd they say next? But even if he does not, no, O king, we will not bow down to the idol that you have made. And yes, God did answer Hannah's prayer, but don't minimize. It was years and years and years of pain, torment, frustration, provocation. But when we get to chapter 2, her prayer to God, in verse 1, she says, My heart exalts in the Lord. Her, her heart her joy was in the Lord, not in her circumstances. It wasn't the change of circumstances that caused her to exalt. She emphasizes her hope was in God and his grace, not in the fact that she was given a child. Her hope was in God's grace, not changed circumstances. Look at verse 9 of chapter 2. Hannah says, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. Now, <laughs> I would love to talk to the translator of this verse of the ESV. I don't know what the other translations say, but I don't like this translation at all. I mean, what, what, is that, what does that verse say to you? He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. What I hear is, if I'm faithful, God will guard my feet. Isn't that what you hear? 
Well, what's interesting is the word faithful is the Hebrew word for grace, chesed, loving kindness. The, the emphasis here is God by his grace will guard his graced ones, guard his favored ones. God guarding us. Our hope is not that if we try really, really hard and we exercise a lot of faith, if we just have enough faith, then we'll see God answer our prayer in our pain and suffering like God answered Hannah's prayer because Hannah was godly and faithful, and that's why God answered her prayer. No. Hannah's acknowledging it was nothing but sheer grace moved God to give her a child. Matter of fact, she says much the same thing in the second part of verse 9. For not by might shall a man or a woman prevail. It's all by grace. And then this is the key. This is the key to God forming a heart after his own heart. Verse 10, he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. I don't know what pain and suffering you're facing this morning. I don't know what your longings are. I don't know what you wish was different in your life. But God wants to transfer the longing for that into a longing for Jesus. Because that's what this whole passage is about. It's about the coming Messiah. The Messiah that God's people will have to suffer and wait for for 1,100 more years. And when we face pain and suffering, what God desires to form in us is a heart that longs more for Jesus. A heart that longs more for the new Jerusalem. A heart that longs to be with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. When and only when there will be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more tears. Jesus is the focus. And in the meantime, God wants us to approach him in authenticity. He wants us to continually surrender to his goodness and love. He wants us to maintain a hope in his grace. And over time, as we allow God to love us in our pain and suffering, our hair will fall out, eyes will drop, we'll be really shabby, but we will be very, very real. And God wants us to maintain that hope, and so He's given us the table. The table that proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. This table is a reminder of the new Jerusalem. This table is a reminder that we're invited to run to God 
with all of our pain, all of our suffering, and we can trust that He will meet us. On the night on which Christ was betrayed, He took bread and He broke it, and He said, this is my body given for you. Then after supper, He took the cup, and He says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the remission of sins of many. Drink from it, all of you, and give thanks. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this table, the table that you are the host of, the table over which you preside, the table where you give us your body and blood to nourish us, to strengthen us. And so God set these elements apart from their common use. We completely understand they remain bread and the fruit of the vine. And yet you use these by the power of the Spirit through your grace to spiritually nourish us, to strengthen us in our pain and suffering, to form in us hearts after your own heart. So come Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.